Okay, so hello everybody. This is uh, Graham Frost's Heart Shaped Decisions podcast once again, and I'm delighted today to have as my very special guest Darren Harris, who I happen to be in a mastermind group with, and he's a, he's a pretty inspirational character, and he's got a a, a very inspiring story to tell. So welcome, Darren. And um, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and what you do and how you got into doing what you do? Well, I'm known for my minority mindset. I really want to inspire people to live a life out of the ordinary. <laughs> I think from the moment I was born, I was, I was always destined to live a life out of the ordinary because I was diagnosed with cancer aged 15 months and I think from that moment onwards my life was always going to be different and I think at first people probably thought it'd be different for the worst and thankfully with a few rocky moments on the way things turned out for the better so I did become England's most capped and most decorated blind footballer I competed at two Paralympic games in two different sports and uh, yeah I've you know I'm now speaking award ceremonies after dinner events keynoting and uh, that's really what i love to do brilliant so tell us a bit more about the um you know the, the playing football playing blind football for england what was that how did you get into that well i think football's in my dna my dad was nicknamed pele he was a, a brilliant footballer back in the 70s and right. the story has it that he refused to cut off his dreadlocks and it was a time when you know you couldn't just wear dreadlocks even though you, you you would struggle to think that now and uh but i was one of those kids who was very very active i just loved running around kicking things kicking balls rolling up bits of paper and sellotaping them you know, the whole jumpers for golf goalpost generation that mm. we grew up in we just took every opportunity to to do sport and I, I went to a, a mainstream primary school while I could still see a little bit. And I, I, I loved playing football there with my mates and having a kick around. Uh, but I did start to sort of struggle as my sight got worse to kind of keep, keep up with those guys. And, yeah. and so I ended up going to a blind school. And I suppose that was the point which really opened my eyes. <laughs> no, no pun intended. But I saw blind children doing things which I never thought was possible. Yeah. There were guys riding bikes on their own completely blind guys riding a bike through a car park in amongst the cars around posts and pillars and I was thinking how do they do this and it really blew my mind and uh and but that's the first time I, I and I started playing football with I suppose my peers people who also had sight problems um yeah. but I didn't think that that was always going to be uh, I didn't think you could be have a career out of it because there wasn't blind sport wasn't have the same profile as it has now so I you yeah. know I went to university got a normal job but eventually I was playing in a league match and the England coach spotted me and asked me to come along to an England training session and uh, and the rest is history. Wow that's amazing so where, where did you travel to to play for England? Oh so my very first game was in Madrid um, 1996 it's a long time right. ago actually it was a pretty awful debut it was I, I came on as a substitute and I was taken off again after a couple of minutes because I was that bad. Um, but I, I came off and I learned from my mistakes and realised what I was doing wrong and realised that actually I still had a little bit of light perception and I had to put that blindfold on probably half an hour, an hour before the game so that I wasn't thinking about 
been able to see. I was just completely focused on listening to the ball. But but yeah, blind football's taken me all, all over the world. I mean, I've been to, to Brazil, I think six times, been to Argentina a couple of times, been to Japan, you know, played in Germany, played in, in France. Um it's it is, it literally has taken me taken me everywhere. That's fantastic. That's that's I mean it's such an inspiring story that you can actually do do that because I you know I, it's only comparatively recently that I became aware of blind sport you know and that's um, absolutely absolutely amazing that you could do that. So then how, when you when you came out of when you came out of that how did you make the transition from that into into speaking professionally? It was uh, after London 2012 so I competed at the Paralympic Games in London 2012 and I was sort of thinking about life after sport mm. at that point and I went to an event organised by the British Olympic Association down in Reading I think it was mm. and there were different organisations there who were looking to snap up you know top top athletes and lead them into potentially new careers and yeah one of the people there was was alan stevens from the professional speaking association oh. i think he was he was the chairman at the time and he said oh you know athletes have got some great stories i think you'd, you'd you know you could potentially make a, a good speaker <laughs> mm. and and so he he offered he offered us free membership for a year and i started going to my local region here in Birmingham started attending the monthly meetings mm. and and that's where I saw David Heiner speak probably my second or third meeting and this guy just kind of blew me away and I thought for a while I sort of put him up on a pedestal thinking wow I'm never going to be as good as that how can anyone mm. speak as as good as that but there was one particular slide which always stuck with me and it was the one when he talks about Chris Akabusi and he says, you know, uh, top achievers don't look up to people, they look into people. Yes. Uh, and that was it. You know, don't put him on a pedestal. Go and find out how he got as good as he got. And, and so I started to really study speaking. I didn't just go and watch and spectate and observe. And, you know, I really started to study different speakers you know what did they do with their intros how did they close their talks what stories did they use did they tell their points before the stories or the mm. stories uh before the points uh, and just started to analyze it really and 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 so with the purpose of helping me become a better speaker yeah brilliant so that's that's fantastic and i think i think i've been on a been on a similar journey i mean yeah, we're, we're actually both um this year in a mastermind group that's being facilitated by the said David Heiner, who's <laughs> who's been I've known David for since about 2005 or six, uh, long before I ever uh, was a professional speaker or even thought about. I was a trainer at the time when I met him, mm. and he um, inspired me, and I kind of kept in touch with him, and now he's introduced me to a whole load more of inspiring people like yourself. Um, you know, I do. I mean. I find people like yourself extremely inspiring because you, you, you know, you could have just, um, you could have gone down a very different path, couldn't you, from what you did go down? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, you know, there's no doubt about it. My mum always said that, you know, if I could see I'd be in prison and I think I had a very challenging time at school where, you know, I wasn't able to kind of control um, my emotions really. I, I let my emotions 
take over and I was a very angry child because you know I was losing my sight you know my father mm. wasn't around I had loads of things going on in my head and, and school probably wasn't really my primary focus <laughs> getting an yeah. education uh, and I just used to fight that was that was my way of, of, of dealing with, with stuff but yeah absolutely eventually I, I was able to realize that I could could do things differently from from what I was doing uh, and that there was this massive future ahead of me you know if if I was able to sort of fulfill my potential so mm. and, and my mum kept all my school reports and they do make fascinating reading I, <laughs> I, I I actually sometimes I read them and think it's almost like an out-of-body experience you know was that really me they're talking about <laughs> so, wow. uh, yeah but they was yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I don't remember if my parents kept my school reports or not, but no, uh, education wasn't the focus of my family at all. You know, I, I was never encouraged to do well at school. Um, and I, left, I left school at 16 with one O level. But I've still managed to have, have an interesting life. So, Darren, you, uh, you know, I... I talk about, um, as you know, I, I speak about heart-shaped decisions a lot. And um, would you like to share with us maybe a, a heart-shaped decision that you've made in your life at some point and, and the impact that it's had for you? Well, I think undoubtedly the biggest decision I ever made was was quitting my job. So in, in 2004, we qualified for the Athens Paralympic Games. It was supposed to be my first Paralympic Games that I'd go at, go to as a competitor. I'd been to Paralympic Games in 1996 as a spectator, and I remember sitting in the crowd, you know, amongst all these hundreds of thousands of spectators, mm. and there was all these brilliant athletes in the middle, and it was, there was a motley crew of mis misfits, I call them. There was stumps and wheelies and, and amputees. And I thought to myself, these guys don't stand out for their disabilities. They stand out for their abilities to throw and to run and to swim. And that was the moment I knew I wanted to be a Paralympian. Yeah. And so eight years later, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to be going to that, that Paralympic Games. You know, I'd been in England team for, for eight years up to that point. And, uh, and, and that's, that's what I thought I'd be doing. But unfortunately, what happened was Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland wouldn't sanction us to play as Great Britain. We, in essence, became a political football where, you know, the, the chief executives of those organisations said, you know, you can't go to these games because we, we, we're worried that if you play as Great Britain, then UEFA and FIFA, which are the governing bodies for, for the European and world football, might say, well, if you can play as great britain in this tournament why can't you play as great britain in other tournaments so i think that their fear was that they would lose their their independence and mm. we, we know that right now don't we in terms of the devolved system that we've got in the uk that, that you know scotland wales and northern ireland have their own very strong nationalistic identities mm. so that opportunity to go to paralympic games was, was taken away from me and i was just gutted i mean it's, it's it's hard to put into words how how gutted i was yeah but what i did is i i, I decided to go out to athens again as a spectator and just to really almost reinforce how much i wanted to do this and i went there a second time as a spectator in 2004 and i knew that that's what i still wanted to do the problem was that i didn't know if i could get there with football because 
you know, four years down the road, I might come up against the same road roadblock in terms of the politics. But I was a black belt in judo. You know, mm. I've done judo for quite a few years. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I loved fighting when when I was a kid. So I was a I was a pretty rough and ready kid. But I was a black belt in judo. But that didn't mean I, I was good enough to to kind of qualify for a Paralympic Games with judo outright. Yeah. And the only way that I thought that I could give myself a chance of going to the Beijing Paralympic Games was to do judo full time. I couldn't just go twice a week or three times a week. Yeah. I had to do it full time, twice a day, six days a week mm. for the next four years. And for me to do that, I couldn't do it sitting on a full time job. Yeah. And so I handed in my notice. <laughs> and I'll always remember it. I always remember handing my notice because people don't leave a job unless they're going to get a pay rise or they're going to get, um, you know, they're going to go to a, a better company. And, and that's all my colleagues were coming up to me and says, you know, where are you going? Who are you going to? And I said, Oh, I'm not going to any of our, our rivals. I said, Oh, what are you going to do then? I said, Oh, I'm going to f- try and become a Paralympian. You know, I'm going to follow my dreams uh, and follow my heart. This is where my passion is. Mm they were just bewildered. Like who would do that? Who would give up security, you know, a company pension, um, you know, a regular salary. Now I knew if things went well, if my performances improved and I got certain results that I could get onto lottery funding, but none of that was guaranteed. Mm. And, uh, you know, but it was, that was ultimately it. I, it, I call it a leap of faith really. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to trust your instincts. It wasn't, it wasn't leaping off the cliff without a parachute. I did put in place, you know, a safety net to a certain degree. I, I am, um, you know, I made sure that I had some, I, I got it. I had a house at the time. I had a mortgage. So yeah. I, I got a tenant in who could, could help with some of the bills, but ultimately you need a lot less than you think you need. Yeah. And so, some of the excuses people come out with are, well, they haven't got enough money or they haven't got enough time. Well, the time thing, I had to make time. The only way I could make time was giving up the job. Mm. And then then the money side, well, okay, how am I going to pay my bills? Well, perhaps I can get a tenant in to help with that. Perhaps I can spend less in in certain areas. So I I didn't go on holidays. I didn't buy designer clothes. I didn't go out drinking. All I did was eat, sleep and train. Mm. And, uh, Thankfully, I made it to Beijing and and London, and the rest is history. Wow, that's that's uh, that's the most inspiring story I've heard for a long time. You know, it's incredible. The fact that um, what job did you give up? What kind of job was it? I worked in IT. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I worked for a, a Catch Gemini, which was a, a big IT services company. Yeah. And I used to be develop software applications. And I wasn't really that inspired by, by tech in the sense that mm. I used to sit down with someone, uh, ask them how they did their job, and then try and turn it into a computer program. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and, um, but, you know, but it was... It, it did pay the bills and uh, and I met some really good people there and it, and it certainly gave me a lot of a lot of skills and uh, and qualities which I've been able to to use in my life but ultimately it wasn't something that 
excited me. I didn't look forward to going to work. I didn't, mm. I didn't get there and, and think, you know, this is, I can see myself doing this for the next 30 years. And there was a colleague there who was probably in his, in his fifties at the time who had mm. been there for 30 years. And I kind of, and it was really him. I was sort of looking at him thinking, is this going to be me? Is this what I'm going to be doing in, in 20 years time to sort of turning up and picking up a pay packet and, and then going home and just sitting in the house watching soaps on TV. And yeah. <laughs> I decided I really didn't want that life. Right. Well, you know, you have to contend with all of these sort of social norms. You know, my mum thought I was crazy. Like uh, everybody told me I was doing the wrong thing. Mm. Um, and so you have to sort of fight that, that weight of, of, um, of history, I suppose. Yes. Uh, and it was, it was, it was, it was pretty scary. It, you know, when, and once you're handing your notice and you walk out the door, it's, it's really weird because it, 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 it transforms you straight away because mm. you know you'll, you'll, you can never go back. And that's what I mean by leap of faith. It's it's a it's a thing where you can't go back to what you had before. You know, you are you are changed forever. And uh, and 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 thankfully, I did. Brilliant. No, that's that's really inspiring story, there, Darren. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. So just to finish off with, what what would you say so far in your career? What has been the most satisfying or rewarding moment? so far in your in your life and career um i suppose it, it's really when you see others flourish because of your message uh i mean uh, one final story i mean my um i studied maths at university actually and, and my maths teacher did something incredible for me uh which is another story but i won't share that one now but what as a way of repaying her, I started doing some voluntary work for a charity called the access project. And, yeah. uh, and they gave me this, uh, year 11 kid who was struggling with his maths. He was getting a D in his maths. Uh, but he wanted to do better, but he came to me and he said, Oh, well, I hate maths. I went, Oh, everybody says they hate maths. So I said to him, you know, what, what's, what quality do you think you need to be really successful in life? And one of the ones he mentioned was determination. So I said, well, what is determination? <laughs> yes. And he goes, well, it's when you, you stick at something that you find really, really hard. So I thought, okay. So if you were to stick at your maths and uh, carry on with it and do well in it, would that demonstrate to you that you have determination? And he went, yeah. And and this is really how I sold it to him. It wasn't so. It wasn't about the maths, because actually, do you really need to know Pythagoras' theorem? Does it is it going to help you in your life? Probably not, unless you're going to become an engineer. You know, do you need to know about algebra? Probably not. And, you know, some of the some of these concepts that we teach people aren't necessarily relevant to their careers unless they're going to go into a career which requires those skills. Mm. But what it does give you is um a way of learning and you know to be able to do something that you didn't know you could do before is incredibly powerful because we can apply that methodology to other aspects of our life uh, and so you know this kid went ended up getting an a and, and i was like 
wow, just, you know, maths was a process to teach him the value of determination. Uh, and there were so many stories like that, but it is, it's really when you are able to use what you've learned to impact someone else's life in a positive way. I think there is no greater joy than that. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. Well, Darren, if, um, if anyone that's listening to this would like to contact you, what's the best way to contact you? I'm on LinkedIn, Darren Harris GB. I'm on social media uh, with all the same things. And obviously my website is darrenharrisgb.com. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. And uh, I will let you know when the podcast is going out. It's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to, to uh, listen to you and be inspired by you all over again, Darren. Thank you so much. Cheers. Keep up the good work. Thank you.